Hello everyone, whether you're listening or you're watching this on YouTube. Welcome to the first ever edition of the Euro Pavilion, which is my brand new podcast show right here on Neon Pavilion. My name is Niklas and on this show I will be discussing Eurovision news and junior Eurovision news, as well as digging deep into some of the things in the Eurovision community and the Eurovision production in general that just really interests me. So hello everyone and welcome to the very first edition here. I'm very excited to be doing this because this is the first time in a long time that I'll actually be doing something like this, which is very much more audio based. Yes, there will be a video version every week on the YouTube channel, but I also want to do this as an audio podcast and I think this is very much more of an audio thing than a visual thing. So even if you're watching this on YouTube, you know, you can just go do something else, play game do something while you're listening to this because there isn't going to be a lot of visual here going on. It is a podcast in the very typical sense and something that I haven't done for a while but something that I've actually done before in the past. I think some of my very first Eurovision content actually was on a channel where I used to do this like weekly little I don't know what to call radio show, I guess. I think there was a time before podcast was really a thing where the idea of doing like internet radio, that was kind of the thing, right? So I want to to try this out and do something new because I've really been interested. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts here lately, I think is what I'm I'm trying to say. And I want to kind of get back into making this kinds of content because it is something that I've always kind of done, you know, Back when I started making videos when I was a, when I was a little kid, a lot of the things I did was this more like sitting in front and just talking. You know, I had a big dream of becoming a television presenter. I've done local radio before. I've done all these things. So making audio content like this, it's not that far away from what I've actually done before. And I think it could also just be interesting to do something a little bit different here with the Neon Pavilion channel. I have kind of been trying to figure out here lately, where do I kind of want to take this channel? What's kind of like the next step for my Eurovision content? Because I've been trying out some things here in uh, in the autumn, not in the autumn, in the springtime, that's it. In the springtime when I started up uh, this YouTube channel, I was just kind of trying to experiment a little bit, figuring out what kind of content I wanted to make. And I think ultimately, I like the idea of of having this kind of podcast show because it gives me an opportunity to make these kinds of like in-depth things where I get to talk a little bit more in depth about some of the things that I think is really interesting when it comes to Eurovision, as well as sharing my thoughts on some of the things going on, some of the stories in the community and all these kinds of things. So that's what we're going to be doing on this show and it's going to be every single Tuesday that you can look forward to a new episode of this. I definitely do hope that you'll be interested in following along and I'll be very happy for you to also give some suggestion if you are watching this on YouTube, then you are more than welcome to go down to the comments below and give some suggestions on what you th- you think could be interesting to talk about on this show, maybe some interesting segments that you think could be really fun to do. I'm very open for ideas, Uh, but if you want to listen to the show on the go, you're more than welcome to that as well. The show, by the time this comes up on YouTube, should also be available on all the kind of podcasting platforms, on Anchor, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all these kinds of things. I don't really know. Google Podcasts, I think that's the one that I use. I used to use Spotify, but after going over to using Apple Music, but still having an Android phone... It just made most sense to to go with Google Podcast once more. So that's what I'm using and it should be available on there as well. If it isn't available there yet, it will hopefully be available within the next couple of days. You know, I, I need to figure all of this out. I'm recording this on Sunday. So at, at the time of this recording, I haven't really set anything up yet. So if things are still missing, that's probably why. <laughs> Anyway, we have three exciting segments on the show today. This is the first episode, so this is going to be a little bit different compared to what some of the episodes will normally be, because what I'm thinking that I want to do with this show is that I want to start off with kind of like a news segment, and then I want to, you know, take up some subjects either from some of the news, or just in general something that I think could be interested in talking about. Sort of like some of the things I've done on the Neon Pavilion YouTube channel before, for example, 
example, the video I did about Cityseni before they were chosen for Eurovision. This whole thing about, you know, how do you make a statement song in Eurovision? The kind of stuff that I've, I've done there, I would be very interested to actually do some more of. Uh, so I think that could be really interesting to do on this show. But today we have uh, three different segments. Uh, the first segment will be all about the Junior Eurovision, kind of like what do we know so far about the show taking place in December this year. Then we're going to be talking about this year's host country, Armenia, and kind of like their Junior Eurovision journey. And then, of course, the big story of the week is, of course, that the United Kingdom is returning to the Junior Eurovision for the first time since 2005 so we're going to go a little bit more in depth about their junior Eurovision journey so far and what kind of things I think we can expect from the UK in this year's show. Alright, let's start talking a little bit about this year's Junior Eurovision, because it is no secret that I am a huge Junior Eurovision Song Contest fan. Sometimes I feel like I may even be a bigger fan of this show than I am of the Eurovision Song Contest, even though I love both contests very much. I think one of the reasons why I feel that way is because I feel like I've very much grown up on Junior Eurovision and it's it's been an integral part of me growing up as a Eurovision fan. I remember watching the first contest live from Copenhagen back in 2003 and I was absolutely loving it. I had watched my first Eurovision when it was in Parken in Copenhagen 2001 but I don't remember much of it, and I don't really remember watching it. I've just been told that I was watching at least a bit of it before I had to go to bed. I'm from 97, so I, w I wasn't very old when I was introduced to Eurovision for the first time, which is very interesting. But I do really remember watching Eurovision in 2002 and really just finding this show so fun and interesting. I've always loved music ever since, uh, ever since I was born, so having this show... I just thought that was really, really interesting, and I absolutely fell in love with it from the second I watched it. And one thing that I do remember watching in 2001, that was like the kids' uh, version of Dansmuldigan, because the first ever MGP, which is what it's called, was held in Denmark back in 2001. And that's kind of like where the Junior Eurovision story actually begins, because for those who don't know... DR, the broadcast in Denmark, created this junior version of the Dansk Multigampri and it became a huge hit right from the beginning. So already in 2002, the Nordic countries were noticing that, you know, Denmark had created this phenomenon and they wanted to be part of it. So they created what was called the MGP Nordic, which was like, you know, we had the national finals in Denmark, Sweden and Norway and then the top three from each country would go on to this MGP Nordic contest where they would kind of like, you know, be be judged up against each other and you would find like the Nordic winner. The EBU saw this and thought this was a really interesting concept and they were looking to expanding the Eurovision brand and so became the Junior Eurovision or the Eurovision Song and Test for Kids, which was the original pitch name. I think we're quite happy that they didn't go with that. I think a Junior Eurovision Song and Test sounds much better, but... That was the first contest being held there back in 2003 and obviously the Nordics aren't in it anymore and there was a few years where I didn't watch the contest because it wasn't being broadcasted on TV and here in Denmark at least and and the whole thing with like watching watching this these kinds of shows online I don't think was really a thing. I don't know when was the first time they actually broadcasted online. I think it was probably around 2008 or 2009 but the first time that I got back into watching Junior Vision. That was in 2010 when I just randomly got got recommended one of the songs taking part on YouTube. And I was like, oh, I remember the Junior Eurovision. I didn't know that was still a thing. You know, I just thought it stopped existing back when we stopped taking part. I think I watched it like in 2006 on Swedish television because they were still taking part just with another broadcaster. But I didn't, I didn't know that it kind of continued after that. So it was really interesting finding it there in 2010. And I've been watching it ever since. So Junior Eurovision is definitely a big part of, of my like growing up with Eurovision, falling in love with Eurovision. I do think that's probably one of the reasons why I really love this show and I find a big interest in, in it. I think also just because it's smaller and, you know, it doesn't have that big of a fan group as the Eurovision. So it's a lot easier to kind of like get into the fandom, I guess. I don't know. But 
it it is a big deal for me and that's also why uh, this season in particular of the Euro Pavilion here working up towards the Junior Eurovision in Armenia this year I think there's going to be a lot of Junior Eurovision content. I, I kind of want to position myself and, and this show and this channel, the Neon Pavilion, as kind of like the place for Junior Eurovision content. So hopefully I'll succeed with that. But let's try to, let's try to look a little bit at the contest uh, so far. What do we know so far? Because we don't have a full list of participants. We don't really know too much about this show but I think it could still be interesting to kind of just go over what do we know so far because you know coming up in the next couple episodes of this show I would be I would love to do like this new stuff like I said and I think it just makes a lot of sense to kind of like start out the show with saying these are the things that we already know so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take a little sip of my drink here and then we'll continue I'll, I'll try to not do this too much like ASMR I'll move a little bit away from the microphone while I while I take a drink there we go, I don't think you heard that. So so what do we know so far? Well, we do know that the show is going to be the 20th edition of the Junior Eurovision. Are they going to do any special things to commemorate the 20 years? We don't really know yet. They haven't said anything yet other than we know that they've really been working on trying to bring some countries back. But I kind of feel like, you know, they do that every single year. A lot of people are talking about, you know, the UK returning and we're going to get back to that. But they're talking it as if it's like, oh, the UK is coming back because now they've, you know, they came second at Eurovision. They're going to host it next year. So that's why they, they kind of want them back and all this but I mean I just remember like being in this fandom for so long I feel like it's forever we've kind of talked about getting the UK back into the junior Eurovision and I believe it was only like one or two years ago when the rumors really started and the EBU was very clear about that they were coming out and saying we are doing what we can to to bring this country back so I don't think it's that new of a thing. So I don't think that's necessarily, you know, it's the 20th edition. That's why they're doing it. But who knows? We'll see if they do something uh, spectacular. The show will be taking place on the 11th of December. So we're kind of continuing the trend that France started last year, where it's going to be like a December event. Now, I don't think we're going to be seeing just as much December decor and kind of like Christmas theme over the show as we had in France last year. And... I don't actually know. See, this is... And I should I should have looked this up just before doing the show. I mean, I, I guess I could just do it right now. I am in front of my computer. Does Armenia use the orthodox... That's not how you spell it. Um, do do Armenian use the... Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking for. Okay, so, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to see. Okay, so the Armenians uh, do actually have the Orthodox uh, calendar, which means that they are celebrating Christmas in January, just like a lot of the rest of Eastern Europe. So that makes sense, and that's kind of like what, what the point I wanted to get to here was that I don't think we're going to see Christmassy elements just because December isn't really tied to Christmas in the Eastern Europe as much as it is here in the Western Europe. And I think it also just worked really well last year because we have Paris, the city of love, and it was just, it felt very much in character for France and what they were kind of trying to achieve with the show last year to do it in this kind of Christmassy way. I think that made a lot of sense, but... I don't think it's something we should expect going forward. Maybe if a Western country hosts next year, a more Western country, and uh, we once again keep it in this December timeline. Yeah, I, I guess it would make sense to to do some more Christmassy stuff there. But I don't think we, we should expect that to be a, a thing every single year. Also, I think it would kind of be a shame if it was, because I think it really worked so well last year that it was this special thing celebrating Christmas in this way. It's very beautiful, but it was also very Christmassy. And, you know, it's not like all the all the kids were singing about Santa Claus and all these things. So may maybe it's a good thing if we tone it down a little. But I think it it is fun that they've moved it towards this more December date. It'll be interesting to see if they keep that. We have had, and I think a lot of people don't realize that, but we have had uh, Junior Eurovision in December before. Last year wasn't the first time that that has happened. Actually, a lot in the beginning, it would be like sort of like the second or third of December. At least I remember watching it around that December time. So 
it it has happened before and i think with with the show being in such a late part of the year sometimes a schedule of things just makes it a lot easier to have it in december and i think now because it's being gradually pushed you know last year was it was december armenia was chosen as the host kind of like in the middle of december after winning the contest so it does give them that like uh, you know, one month less to prepare if they want to get back to doing it kind of like in, in the middle to late November. So I think I think it makes sense to keep it in December. I think we're going we're gonna to see that moving forward. But I've already said this a thousand times. It is Armenia hosting. That is, of course, uh, after their win last year with Kami Kami. And they're going to be hosting it, no surprise, in Yerevan, which is also the place where they hosted it back in 2011. Same same venue and all, and I don't think they have many other venues that they could have really chosen from. So it makes sense that they're hosting it here, but it's always fun to see kind of like a Eurovision show going back to a previous venue. We have seen that a few times before, for example, the Minsk Arena back in, in 2008. They also hosted it in 2010, but that was two drastically different shows. And looking at those two like side by side, you wouldn't know that that was in, in the same arena or even the same team producing it, which it probably it wasn't but that's a different point so it'll be really interesting to see what armenia can pull off this year we don't really know anything yet in terms of like the the slogan for this year and the graphics and all this i kind of expect that we're going to get that here in in september time so it'll be interesting to see how kind of how that looks because while I do love the show in 2011 for some of the songs i think that was a great year for junior eurovision in terms of some of the songs the kind of a production that Armenian TV put on back then, it wasn't it wasn't one of my favorites. I think the, the graphics are kind of lackluster. The stage was really cool. I liked the design of it, but it was clearly a broadcaster who wanted to try to host uh, a show like this, but wasn't nearly as experienced in hosting this kind of thing. But we've seen Armenia do really cool national finals over the years here, in particular in the last couple of years. So I think they're going to put on a great show this year. It'll be really interesting to see. Now, so far, 17 countries have expressed their interest in taking part this year. And the reason I say it like that is because we don't have, like I said, the full list of participants. I mean, we may very well have by the time this video comes out, like I said... I'm filming this podcast on Sunday and then it's going up on Tuesday. So technically, you know, the EBU on Monday or Tuesday could be like, yeah, here's the participation list and this video will already be outdated by the time it comes out. So sorry about that if that's the case. I believe last year it was around like the 2nd or 3rd of September that uh, the list of participants was released. So I imagine we're going to get something similar this year. So maybe either uh, this week or, or the next week, we're going to see the list of participants. But it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we're, we're up to 17 participants so far, and we don't know if there are more potentially joining the lineup. I personally see, see it, it's difficult because there are a lot of rumors going on at the moment of a country's participation. Uh, possibly taking part that's what i wanted to say possibly taking part but i don't think a lot of these rumors that we're seeing right now comes from very credible sources in fact some of them and i'm not going to mention any names because i don't want to get canceled on the first episode of this but but so, some of some of the places spreading these rumors aren't really known for being super credible in the things that they're saying so yeah i i wouldn't really believe some of the rumors going around we we may see a country more pub up we may see azerbaijan i mean there's they said after armenia winning that they wanted to take part this year no matter what but i mean see it's it's difficult right because on one end it's like yeah you you want as many countries taking part as possible and all these things but at the same time I don't want there to be a situation just like when Azerbaijan hosted Eurovision back in, in 2012 or or even the situation we had with Russia and Ukraine uh, with Ukraine hosting Eurovision in Kiev back in 2017 where that whole kind of deal, I mean, you wouldn't want the situation and that's kind of what I fear if Armenia, uh, not Armenia, Azerbaijan is on the final participation list that we see a situation kind of like what we saw uh, with uh, with that where it's like they try to send a song that's very pro Azerbaijani army, whatever, and their argument will be like, oh, you wouldn't disqualify a kid, would you? Uh, we don't want to see that, so it'll be interesting. And I don't know if interesting is the right word. We'll, we'll see what happens there.
But 17 countries so far has expressed their interest. Germany uh, is not taking part this year. They are taking what they're calling a creative break. They're still part, um, broadcasting the show on Kika, which is a positive sign. And they are saying that they expect to be back next year. So let's cross our fingers, not be too much Doomer Town here and, and hope that Germany is actually returning uh, next year because they have kind of like hit it off very hard with, you know, performing first the two years they've taken part and not really having that great results. So let's hope that Germany can turn around that that phase. You know, in fact, I think they should do the same in Eurovision, take a creative break next year, but they probably aren't doing that. And then, like I've already said a million and one times, the UK is returning uh, to the Junior Eurovision this year. It's the first time since 2005 they're going to be participating. And like I said, we will be talking more about that later. In terms of the singers, we don't really have that many confirmed so far, but we do actually already have a few. I think one of the first to be confirmed, that was Georgia. Georgia have their national final, Renina, which they've been holding since 2018. And that's kind of like this like part of their spring lineup. I, I think it's actually a very popular show in Georgia. They select the singer, but not the song that's being selected at a later stage. But Mayam Bigvana uh, has won the Renina contest this year, and We'll hopefully hear her song very soon. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. It's not the first time, as people know. It's not the first time that Georgia is sending a Mayam. And usually when they do that, they do quite well. So, who knows? Are we going to Tbilisi next year? I mean, last time it was it was in Armenia. There was a Mayam in the Candy Music Group. And they won. So, we'll, we'll see what happens. North Macedonia has also selected their participants, Alara and Irina. Uh, they did an internal selection and there isn't much known about them or their song yet, so we're just going to have to wait for a little bit and see uh, where that takes us. Kazakhstan is once again participating. A little bit interesting that they have actually confirmed their participation before uh, they have, you know, before the official list of participating countries. Because usually Kazakhstan is like one of the last to actually confirm their participation because they are an associate member, so they have to be approved by the steering group of the EBU before they can actually take part. But they have already confirmed uh, their uh, interest in taking part this year, and I mean. There's even an article about it on the Junior Eurovision website, so I assume they have gotten the thumbs up from the reference group. Uh, David Chalin uh, is the name of uh, the winner of the Bagidi Bala contest in Kazakhstan. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly at all. I, I just I have it in my notes, but I haven't looked up how to pronounce it, so I apologize for that. He won that contest, which is like this a big singing competition, actually like an international singing competition, where kids from all over the world can participate but the rules this year was just like yeah the the Kazakhstani participant who does best in the contest we're gonna send that one to junior vision and, and luckily a, a Kazakhstani kid was the winner of the contest so he has been chosen and once again a song will be chosen internally that's also the same case for Portugal, which has selected Nicolas Alves, and he was the second place on this year's The Voice Kids in Portugal. The winner of The Voice Kids, I believe she has already turned 15, so she is unfortunately too old to participate, but I think Nicolas is a fantastic choice. If you if you want to go in and, and look at one of his performances, definitely check out the one where he sings Michael Jackson. He has such a great voice, such an interesting voice, and I really hope that Portugal really steps up this year and tries to actually send something that's that's modern and poppy and really fits his vocals, not just send something that doesn't really show off what he really can do, because I, I don't want to see him sing a fado ballad like we saw last year. I don't think that fits to him at all, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. I know Portugal isn't really known for being a country sending modern stuff, but... I think this could be really, really good. And I'm, I'm not necessarily saying we could see Portugal win their first ever junior vision, but I would love to see them get a really great result with him because he is awesome. He's definitely one of those out of the ones uh, being selected so far that I'm very interested in hearing and, and seeing what kind of song he comes up with.
We of course have some some national finals coming up in September and October, but we don't really know much about those yet. I mean, Poland is doing Sanchez Suchis like they've done in the past couple of years. We know that Malta is looking for participants. I believe Ukraine is looking for participants. Armenia is doing as well. Uh, Ukraine will be doing kind of like an online national final like they've done in past years. And I think Armenia is expecting to do an internal selection. So it'll be interesting to see what they will bring this year as well. Okay, let us move on to the second segment here of the show today, which is going to be all about Armenia in the Junior Eurovision. And I'm gonna try to, first of all, not go into too many sidetracks, which is hard for me because I have... I, I'm not I'm not diagnosed, but I think I have a little bit of an ADHD brain. So sorry if I sometimes just go on on like weird, weird offsprings here. Apologies for that. But I'm going to try not to do that. And I'm also going to try to speak a little slower because I feel like I really just really just ran through that first part very, very quickly. You know, I have to kind of get get into this again, you know, get into doing this kind of like more radio presenting style because I'm very used to with my YouTube videos. You know, I do a lot of cuts in it. Now I don't do cuts, but it's like I'm so used to this fast paced nature that it's like, you know, when you do podcasts, it's okay to just like take a few seconds to breathe and just like think about what you want to say. But I've kind of just like forgotten how to do that because I'm so used to doing fast paced video edits. So it is also in a way like a way of like kind of trying to teach myself again how to actually do this kind of stuff because I think I think I honestly enjoy this way more talking like this where it's not so much about you know doing a perfect perfect sentence. It's okay to mess up a little bit sometimes and just kind of laugh it off. Anyway that, that was one of those tangents that I just talked about I didn't want to do. Let's talk about Armenia and kind of like their, their, you know, their, uh, what do you call it? See, this is what I mean. What do you call their journey, I guess you can say, uh, through the Junior Eurovision. Because Armenia is one country that has taken part in a fair few of these competitions. And they've honestly done quite well. So let's, let's look at some of the facts and figures first. I mean, Armenia has participated 14 times since their debut back in 2007 in Rotterdam. They were supposed to have 15 participations at this point, but unfortunately they had to withdraw back in 2020 due to the ongoing war at that time. And, you know, 2020 was also just a, a weird time in Junior Eurovision because obviously that was the year where we did the remote contest. And obviously with a war going on, you don't really have, have the money or the time or the interest in First of all, broadcasting a show like this, but also, you know, setting setting up a stage, doing this whole thing. So Armenia chose to withdraw that year, but that's actually the only time since 2007 that they haven't been present. Their first participation back in 2007, they were very, very close to taking the victory home already. Uh, Erevik uh, with the song Erasak uh, was just one point away from the victory and... In my humble opinion, if I can just get personal a little bit, I do want to do that in this show as well, you know, mention some of my opinions on songs and countries and all that. I think Eresak is not only one of my favorite entries from Armenia, I think it absolutely is the real winner, if you want to call it that, of the Junior Vision 2007. I like that song way more than Strushyami from Belarus that won. And I honestly... Excuse me, sorry... <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't find that to be a great winner at all. It's definitely down there in kind of like my bottom of, of the all-time Junior Eurovision winners. I don't know. It, it was a different time with televoting only. I think had it, had it been a different time, had there maybe been some juries involved, I, I think Adevik would have taken the victory and Armenia would have won on their first participation. They didn't, but it didn't take them long before they could actually take home the victory. In in 2010, Vladimir's Mama went on to win the contest. And the year later, Armenia became the first country ever to actually host the Junior Vision after winning it. For those who have only started watching in recent years, who maybe don't know this, it actually used to be this thing where the Junior Eurovision, you would kind of bid to host, and usually before the contest would take take place, you already knew who was going to be hosting it the year later. And it was like that up until 
2013, I believe, when a new team stepped in to do Junior Eurovision. That's kind of like where they changed that and it became like the Eurovision model. Kind of. The rules at this moment says that the winning country gets first refusal. Which basically means that unlike in the Eurovision where you're expected to host if you win, in the Junior Eurovision you get the chance to say yes we would like to host. But if a country does not want to host, then you know they can just say yeah we don't have the budget for it or we don't want to do this right now. And then other countries can bid to host the contest. This has happened once since this rule was introduced. That was in 2015. Uh, Italy won in 2014, but decided not to host. So second place Bulgaria stepped in and hosted in 2015. And then technically we have 2018 is a bit of a weird year because for one year they they went back on it and was like, hey, now we're going to go back to the old model where the host country is chosen before the contest. So before the contest in Tbilisi, they were like, yeah, Belarus is going to host. Wait... We don't know the reason for it, but I do I do speculate on a reason why they chose to do that for that year. And maybe that's a topic for another Euro Pavilion. So let me know if you would be interested in hearing about that. But Armenia was the first country. And this, this wasn't, you know, like I said, this wasn't in a time where this was normal. But I think the bidding process was just a little later this year. It wasn't chosen uh, before the contest in Minsk in 2010. The bidding process was done afterwards and Armenia decided to submit a bid. The EBU loved it and they got to be the first country to host after winning and kind of like, you know, set the example of what that could be, I suppose. I think had they not done that, maybe we would still be looking into having just random countries host the Junior Eurovision. They are, if we go back to Armenia and some of their stats, they are actually a country that has done really well in Junior Vision, known as one of the powerhouses. And there's been a few times where they've been very close to winning and they've def definitely been one of the fan favorites. Out of the 14 times they've participated so far, eight of those times they've been inside the top three. Which is, I think that's still impressive, even if we consider some of the years they've taken part where there isn't that many countries that have taken part. I, I kind of debated with myself, did I want to mention this or not? They have never been outside of the top 10. And I know that does sound impressive, and I guess to some extent it definitely is, but I think this, like, you know, eight times in the top three, I think that's way more impressive just because we have had years of the Junior Vision where there has been 12 participants, and being outside of the top 10 with 12 participants, eh, if you put it like that, right, but... Yeah, I don't know. I, I think they're still one of the, the countries that have done a lot for Junior Eurovision. I think that the show is very popular in the country and they really stepped it up and they've sent some really high quality entries. Even when they had their national finals, there was just a lot of talent and a lot of great music in there. there there's definitely a lot of Armenian songs also in their national finals that I've been listening to. They, they do seem to put a lot of money and effort into this contest. Sometimes it feels like they're doing more than they're doing in Eurovision but I think they're not the only country. I think if, if we ever talk about Georgia on this show, I think I think we'll we'll see a similar pattern there. But they are really they are a country that just really impressed me. Like I said, Edesak, uh, their song from 20, uh, 2007, one of my all-time favorite Junior Vision songs and definitely my favorite Armenian entry. But I think in general, they just bring so much quality. Their entry in 2016 is another one that comes to mind. Really cool performance, very powerful vocals. And I think had we had televoting that year, they could have very well taken home that victory instead of Georgia. So that's really interesting. And I also just want to bring up something that I think they're doing really well. Uh, that's, you know, that's a little bit of a personal story of mine. When I was in Glivice back in, in 2019 for the Junior Vision there, I remember just watching Karina's uh, performances of, what was it, Color, Colors of Your Dream. That was what it was called, wasn't it? I just remember watching those uh, rehearsals of hers. And I think I watched every single one of her rehearsals. And she just nailed it every single time. Like, there wasn't a single thing that, you know, they had to tweak or change. She didn't have to redo any of her rehearsals. She just got on that stage and absolutely owned it right from the very first second she, she stepped on it. I mean, I didn't see the first rehearsals, of course, but this the second rehearsals, all the ones open to the, to the press, basically. I saw those, and I was just absolutely blown away. And I really thought that Armenia 
had it not been this whole televoting and you know you uh, online voting i mean and you you know you have to really get the fans behind it i don't think they really had that back in 2019 so had we been in maybe a more of a more of a televote friendly era where you couldn't vote for yourself maybe armenia would have done better that year because it was definitely one of those performances that that really stood out for me that year it's always hard to say but i i think they definitely deserve being in that top three as many times as they have and it'll be really interesting to see what they're gonna bring this year because i think you know being the host country is always very interesting and i think one of the greatest entries they've they've pulled is the welcome to armenia the song that they sent when they hosted it back in 2011 which is such an interesting thing, right? Because that wasn't internally selected. And it really just, it sounds like such an internally selected song because it's just this like, welcome to Armenia when we actually are in Armenia. But but it was chosen through in their national final. I think that's that's a fun little story, but a, a great, great song. So it'll be really interesting to see when they really stepped up with something last year with with uh, Kami Kami. That was so modern. It's the most modern winner of Junior Eurovision ever. It's one of those songs that really sounds like, okay, and 14-year-old would actually listen to this song. And they've kind of set a new standard. And it'll be really interesting to see if they're going to keep up with this, with these like very modern, really, really cool pop songs. I would love to see something similar this year from them. We've talked about some of the things we know about the show this year so far. We've talked about the host country, but there is no doubt that the big story in the junior Eurovision community this year is, of course, that the UK is returning to the contest. And I say returning, but technically they are also kind of taking part for the first time because this will be the first time that a BBC is taking care of their junior Eurovision participant. Back in the beginning of the Junior Eurovision, when the United Kingdom was present for the first three editions, it was actually a second UK broadcaster, ITV, who has never been responsible for any Eurovision content. They actually took part. I think originally BBC was offered to take part in Junior Eurovision, but chose not to. But ITV stepped in and handled the participation for these first three years. So yes, it is a return, I guess you can say. But it is also the first time for the BBC to kind of figure out what is the Junior Eurovision, what can we kind of do, and I don't think they can really look much towards what ITV did back then, because the contest has changed so much ever since the beginning, so... You know, they don't really have much to go by other than, you know, they can look what sort of songs have won in the last couple of years and what can they do there. Because it's clear that the United Kingdom and their public is suddenly interested in Eurovision again. A lot of the people being very skeptic about Eurovision over there in the UK, they've kind of turned their minds. Now they are, you know, celebrating Sam Ryder and looking forward to the contest wherever it's going to be held on behalf of Ukraine next year. So I think, you know... Being in that momentum, it makes absolutely sense that this is the year where the BBC say, okay, you know what, let's do it, let's actually take part in the Junior Vision again. But before we get into kind of like, you know, what can we expect from them this year, which is honestly hard to say at this point, right? But what can we kind of expect to see? Let's, let's go a little bit over because the UK does have a little bit of an, of an interesting history, I, I guess you can say, when it comes to the, to the Junior Vision. So like I said, the, the first uh, contest was taking part in a Copenhagen back in November of 2003, the first ever Junior Eurovision. And the United Kingdom was one of the founding countries. Taking part with the song, My Song to the World, they finished third, I believe it was. I didn't write it down for whatever reason. I feel like that, that should be important, but I, I think it came third. I think it came second or third, but I, I do think it came came third. Now I'm doubting it. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look it up now because I've I've said it. I'm gonna look it up. JESC 2003. I'm really doubting myself here. It could very well have come second. What did it come? No, it came third. I was right. Second place uh, was Spain. Third place was the United Kingdom uh, with Tom Morley's My Song for the World. A, a beautiful ballad and I think I think kind of a song that was maybe a little bit ahead of its time when it came to Junior Eurovision. I think this was less junior and actually a very professional performance, I would say. Really, really great. 
the year after, in 2004, uh, the UK also took part and they came second with Corey Spedding's The Best Is Yet To Come. I think that's the one that most people kind of like, you know, remember as the best of the UK entries. But 2004 is a really interesting year. And I think a lot of people who are maybe newer Junior Eurovision fans don't actually know this story. So I've already, and I'm, I'm gonna get to the story now because I've already mentioned that in the beginning, the whole thing was that countries were supposed to bid on on hosting the Junior Vision. But in the very first year, they kind of took a different approach. Obviously, Denmark hosted the first show because EBU wanted them to, having the experience hosting MGP Nordic the year before. But then the EBU was just like, hey, ITV, do you want to host it the next year? And they were like, yeah, sure. So if you go in and actually watch the Junior Eurovision from 2003, you'll see that the two hosts, Camilla and Remy, actually mentioned that the winning country will not host. And next year, it'll be hosted somewhere in the United Kingdom. And that was actually the plan. 2004's Junior Eurovision was supposed to be held by the ITV in the United Kingdom. What I could gather was that it was supposed to be hosted in Manchester, and I believe it was ITV Granada that was supposed to be kind of like producing the whole thing. But in May of 2004, so only a few months before the show was supposed to take place, they decided to pull out of the hosting uh, duties due to what they call finance and scheduling problems. And this is usually a TV speak for we don't want to do it. <laughs> But we, we don't fully know what the reason was. Uh, I, I tried digging a little bit into it. And I feel like actually the uh, the Wikipedia page for the Junior Vision 2004 has been way updated compared to what I remember it being. So there is a little bit more information on this thing, actually. And it, it is believed that the budget that ITV Granada uh, decided to allocate for this was just simply too small. You know, you, you didn't know how much it took to put on a show like this. Obviously, the UK hosted Eurovision back in, in 1998 last, but that was with BBC, and maybe they didn't, you know, know how much that cost. And even in just the years, you know, from 1998 up until here in 2004, the Eurovision was really evolving, and TV productions were getting bigger and better, and maybe they didn't know what it would cost to put on a show like this. Or maybe they just hadn't cared enough to find out. I, we, we don't know. But, you know, they hadn't allocated enough budget. But I think one of the reasons, and that's definitely one of those things that's been speculated over the years, is that it was also because of viewing figures. Because I think that, you know, ITV was hoping for this to be a, a big thing for them. But we got to remember 2003 was the year of the Nolpois. Uh, for the United Kingdom with Gemini. It was, you know, the the beginning of the end for the glory days of the UK in Eurovision. And that could be one of the reasons why the viewership was lower than expected. It's hard to say, but they definitely didn't get the viewers that they were hoping for. And I mean, even in, in 2004, they moved it from ITV1 to ITV2, which just showed that interest was steadily declining. Uh, declining and yeah... It is an interesting story also if, if we want to continue it. I'm, I'm not going to go too much into details here, but maybe maybe we'll talk about it some other day. But then, you know, when, when the UK decided we cannot host this and I'm, I'm impressed that they didn't get a fine for actually just pulling out like that, but I don't think they did. It's very, it's very strange, but like they didn't. It went over and the EBU was like, hey, Croatia, can you host? Did you won last year? And they were like, yeah, sure, we can do it. Then a few years later, a few weeks later, they're like, yeah, no, we don't have a venue that's actually available for it. So with just a few months to go, a Norwegian broadcaster in our case stepped in and hosted the show in Lillehammer. And if you look at, at the show in 2004, it's a great show for sure. But the graphics and everything very much shows that one, it's just a lot of borrowed from their MGP Junior. And two, it just looks very cheap. Like, you know, we put this together in like four months or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, not the best story. And after that, the EBU decided that instead of just picking out countries to host, they were going to do a bidding phase. And that's that's kind of how that started. But yeah, it just wasn't a success for the ITV. And you can even, you know, and I, th I think I'm, I might go into details with that some other day as well. But if, if you go onto YouTube and you, you look up Junior Eurovision, you can actually find the commentary uh, that the ITV did for the contest in 2003. And I've only gotten like, 
maybe like 10 minutes into it and I just I cannot finish watching it because I think it's so so vile and so rude in a way you know they they start off presenting uh, the first song uh, Grease basically saying that this kid sucks he cannot sing and I don't think you should do that in a in a kids program. They it's clear when you listen to the commentary they didn't treat it like a kids program and Junior Vision while it may be more of a family show today, it definitely was geared towards being a kids show back then because that's kind of like, you know, the that that's kind of what DR the Danish broadcaster wanted it to be and what our national final still is because we we still do MGP here in Denmark. We just don't take part in in Junior Vision anymore and it's still very much this kid focused, more of a kid show than a family show. And the ITV didn't treat it like that back then and maybe that's why it didn't work out so well for them. But they withdrew in 2006, just like the Nordic countries. But while the Nordic countries decided to go out of the contest because they felt like it was getting too mature, I think ITV just pulled out because they were like, yeah, we aren't getting the viewers for this. It, it just doesn't make sense for us. And we got to remember, this is this was at an all-time low for, for the BBC, even at Eurovision. And the reputation of the show was really getting damaged by what was kind of going on with Terry Wogan's commentary and all these things. So it just wasn't a, a great time for someone like ITV who didn't have this history of Eurovision to invest in this show. So they pulled out and we didn't see any UK participant for many, many years. But, and this is the interesting part, in 2018, sort of out of nowhere, Wales came up on the participation list for the contest in Minsk. And this was so interesting. And I loved this. Basically, with the United Kingdom not taking part, it opened up the possibility for the smaller regions or what do you call it? Regions? Countries within the United Kingdom? What do you call it? I don't even know. But the smaller broadcasters from these regions uh, to actually take part in this contest. Wales, I believe, had previously participated in... Was it the Young Musicians or was it... It was one of those, I believe. Uh, but they also decided to take part in the Junior Vision. They had a whole national final everything. I think it was really well produced, actually. And they took part for two years in 2018 and 2019 as an independent country, which was so fun to see. And we got to hear Welsh in the contest, you know, a a language that is very much forgotten, I think, even in, in for Welsh people, right? So it was so interesting to hearing such a minority language on a big stage like this. But they were they had to withdraw in 2020 due to the coronavirus pandemic, and we didn't see them back, which is really, really a shame, because had corona not happened, it'll be interesting to see if we would still be in this uh, timeline uh, with the regional broadcasters. Because I remember back in 2019 with, with Wales taking part for a second year, there were talks that potentially Scotland would also be interested in joining as an independent nation. And we would get a, a Scottish entry as well as a Welsh entry, which would have been so much fun. And if you ask me personally... I would much rather be in that kind of timeline. I would so much more be interested in having this. And I think it's because I really like the cultures of the Junior Eurovision and what that kind of does in comparison to Eurovision. Because Junior Eurovision is so less commercial, so we get to hear some of these regional languages. I mean, sometimes, we don't get it often, but Malta has a little bit of their language sometimes. Ireland sings entirely in Irish in their songs, which is something that they probably would never do with RTE in Eurovision. But in Junior Eurovision, it's the Irish broadcaster Chichikara who has taken part. And they just, they they have this idea of using Junior Eurovision to bring more knowledge about the Irish language and keeping the Irish language for a younger generation. And for a culture nerd like me, who is absolutely eating these things up and who are so interested in foreign cultures and foreign languages. This is what I love about the junior generation. I love this thing that we get to hear these unique languages. So I, I really miss having the Welsh language. I miss watching TV in Welsh and being excited about that because it's so interesting for me to hear this very, very strange, but very, very interesting old Celtic language. And I would have loved to have Scotland take part as well, but we're in a different timeline now, in a different timeline with BBC taking part. 
Now, like I said, we don't know much about what the BBC is actually going to be doing. Uh, we suspect that they're going to be doing an internal selection. Like, they've, they've announced this so late and it's their first time doing it, so... It makes sense to do an internal selection. Maybe if it does well and they get a good amount of viewers, they could potentially do a national final next year. But I think we should expect uh, an internal selection this year. I, I dug a little bit deeper to actually find out, do we know anything about it? And the fan site Eurovision Island actually wrote about how that it is a talent management by the name of Bus Talent. Uh, that is actually looking into uh, finding the kids. And I believe, I, I, I looked a little bit around on their Instagram, but I don't know a lot about this kind of like talent management world. So I'm not quite sure. But I, I think I think potentially it is mainly for their clients. And I don't know who they have in terms of clients. But I, I think it's one of those things, if you know, you know. And if you're part of like that kind of bubble, then that's probably how you, you easily get in. Because they have encouraged kids to send in audition videos. So I, I suspect that they're the ones who are going to send in some proposals for uh, the BBC. And they're going to be choosing. It is, and I think that's important to mention, it is uh, the CBBC, the kids division of the BBC, that is kind of producing the junior Eurovision content for them. Which also means that tap music and uh, this whole like part of the BBC that is doing Eurovision they don't have anything to do with this. It's a, it's a completely different team. So don't expect Spaceman Jr. to show up because I don't think that's what we're going for. However, and I think it's really important to, to mention because it does say that uh, in the little like uh, casting call there, it says that kids are encouraged to send in the videos of them singing, and I quote, an up-tempo pop song of choice. And, and let's focus on that up-tempo bit, because if they are looking into, if they want the kids to send these kinds of songs, I think we should suspect that that, that means that they're wanting to send something upbeat and modern, and then they want to send something that's doing maybe what Kami Kami did, but also probably what, what Spaceman did. I know I just said we're not going to get a Spaceman Junior, but I still think that, you know, Eurovision this year and Junior Vision last year as well, for that matter, showed that well-produced pop is cool, both for the adult uh, viewers, but certainly also for the kid viewers. They don't want to listen to boring ballads, and I'm I'm so happy and so thankful that we're getting out of this er this era that the Junior Vision has been in, where it was, you know, one screamy ballad after the other. We don't need those anymore. Junior Vision is cool and it's modern now. And I think having this in, in the audition bit and saying that they want kids to send in them singing upbeat songs... That to me shows that I don't think we should be worried, like I've, I've seen some people are, that we're going to get an Australia 2.0 with the UK. Because I think that's like one of the first things I saw was that people were worried that we're going to get songs similar to what we've seen from Australia when they took part in the Junior, junior Eurovision, which is these like mid-tempo, let's save the world, let's stand together songs that doesn't really have... They don't have much, I don't want to say value, because they definitely have value, right? And, and it's important messages. But they, they lacked a little bit of, of soul and energy in them. And I think what, what it kind of seems like Buzz Talent is saying is that they want to take a different approach. So it'll be really interesting to see. And also, I know that the UK is, is hosting uh, Eurovision next year. So we probably aren't going to see them host a junior Eurovision, you know... Even if I think even if they won this year, I don't think they would be hosting it next year. Maybe they would. I don't think they would. But I I, I had a trail of thought there, and then it disappeared. But I think it's cool. I think even though I I like I said I I would have loved to still be in the the Welsh Scottish timeline. I think it it very much creates a a buzz around the contest. And it, it gives the contest some of that credit that it struggled to have 10 years ago. I mean, I remember when I first rediscovered Junior Eurovision, I was watching in those years like 2010, 2011, 2012. This was around the time where a lot of us were scared that the Junior Eurovision was just going to cease to exist. I think especially there in, in 2012, in a, a small venue, 12 participating countries, we all thought 
this is it, right? This is going to be the last ever Junior Edition because there was those years where they really, really struggled to get more than 12 participants on. And it was, you know, countries were really coming and going. And yes, they still are to some extent, but it, it just felt like a completely new roster of, of countries every single year in that contest. And I think having now, and let's include Germany. I know they aren't taking part this year, but they do plan on, on coming back next year. We have Italy, which has been taking part for a few years now and done relatively well. We have France, which hosted last year, and their songs really seem to be creating local success. I mean, Bim Bam Twa went crazy on, on TikTok at some point. So they're also creating some, some local interest, local talent, and getting, you know, the giving a career to these kids, I'd say, because both Carla and Valentina, and I think even Enzo last year, have actually released albums afterwards and have kind of, you know, worked on that. Valentina has become a huge star in France after this, so... You know, they're really doing something here. Germany still needs to get a little bit into it, but now we have the United Kingdom as well. So we have all of a big five taking part. And I think it it's just it's very much easier to sell the idea of junior vision and, and sell it to more countries and get more more countries interested in taking part and keeping that interest alive if you have these big players in it. Because back when it was, you know, the what can you say, the the Eastern European countries, very much like, you know, Russia and Belarus, kind of like leading it, doing well, Armenia even, doing well. The contest was something different, and it was it was hard to get more countries involved because the Eastern European countries, they were kind of like, you know, the ones ruling it, and it was very much like how their talent competitions and stuff were. It was like mini-adults screaming ballads, like I said earlier. And a lot of those countries who maybe would have an interest in taking part just didn't have the finance for it. Where now we're really seeing a, a shift here. And I think Poland has really been leading this with just sending so good quality songs. Is that we've had this shift where we've seen more Western countries take part. But we've also seen more actual popular music taking part. And kids don't have to scream into a microphone anymore. But they get to sing songs that they would actually listen to themselves. And... I love this shift. And I'm not saying that this shift means that in a few years we're going to see all of the Nordics taking part once more. But I think with with these countries taking a bigger seed in the contest, doing well, while some of the countries that used to do well have kind of fallen a little bit down because they haven't been able to keep up. And we have countries like Russia is now out, Belarus is now out. And they were kind of like the countries who were kind of deciding what Junior Vision was supposed to be. They were the ones sending the mini adults and they aren't in it anymore. So there is a shift here. There is a really interesting shift. And I think BBC coming into the contest now, that just builds upon that, creates even more buzz and even more interest in this. And if they can bring in, and we obviously don't know if they can, but if they can bring in a viewership that's close to what we've seen friends do last year when they hosted, but especially Poland, who has really taken this contest to heart. And let's be real, if Ukraine does in December what they did at Eurovision this year, it's probably going to be Poland hosting Junior Eurovision next year because that show is still a big thing there and they could absolutely bid to host once more. So there is a shift and I think it's a good shift and I'm very excited, even though I miss Wales in the contest, I'm still very excited to see if, if the BBC will be able to bring something that's both fun but also modern, just like we've seen France do, just like we've seen Poland do. It'll be really interesting to see how it's going to go. I'm excited. And I, I was kind of thinking before I was I was doing this recording session, do I have any hopes? Like, are there any UK child singers that I think could be interested to see? The the first and kind of only that kind of came to mind because I haven't really, you know, I don't watch a lot of Britain's Got Talent or The Voice Kids UK. Amy Davis, if anyone knows her, I think she was on the most recent edition of British Got Talent. It is an ITV show, so I wouldn't suspect her, you know, contracts and all that. But she's a great one. That would be really fun to see take part at some point. But it, it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm, it's a, I mean, it's a big country. And there are, there are lots of talent there. I have no doubt about that. So I, I think we'd get something really great. Right, there you go. That was the first edition of the Europe Pavilion. I hope you enjoyed it. I feel like it was a little bit messy because 
I have to get into these things, but let's be honest, the first episode of anything is never that good. Hopefully when you get a few more episodes into it, I'll be in a little bit more of a flow. I won't be speaking so fast. I'll I'll have my thoughts a little bit more cleared. You know, it's it's about just getting into it and getting used to it from the beginning. I think that's that's the most important part. But thank you for for watching or listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are listening to this show on your favorite podcast platform, I would love for you to leave a review or leave a like. I don't actually know how that like fully works all places, but if you are able to leave a review, you are more than welcome to subscribe uh, to the show on your favorite platform if you want to listen to more. And I would love for you to also check out the Neon Pavilion YouTube channel if you haven't already. I do lots of like in-depth stuff. That's what I like to do. And I have some interesting videos coming up hopefully soon where I'm going to be digging into some of the Eurovision family events that you maybe don't know existed that have existed in the past or maybe still exist. And I also hope to be doing some interviews and some fun stuff leading up to the Junior Eurovision in Yerevan. But that was the first edition of the Euro Pavilion. I really hope you enjoyed and I'll hopefully see you next week. Take care.